greetings to this part of the service. I think we could go home, and we've been well instructed in faith, had we not today. There's uh, not in Mark, but in one of the other passages, one of the other Gospels, Jesus actually asked in the question, where is your faith? Which either means they didn't have any, or it could mean it was misplaced. <laughs> and I thought of the money lesson that we had. We had a lesson on both economics and spiritual. And someone asked a question this morning, and I was out back there. Someone asked me the question, why does our money say, in God we trust? Maybe that's a good directive, and maybe that's what what was wrong with the Zimbabwe money. It didn't say that on there, but it was good. Many good lessons. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful to you, Lord, that you are trustworthy. You are from eternity past and into eternity future, and not one of your promises fail. And there's none that can say to you, what doest thou? There's none that can stay your hand. You are all-powerful, all-able, all-sufficient, and we can trust in you. So thank you, Lord. Thank you this morning. And I pray, Lord, you would instruct us, grant us, Lord, the privilege, Lord, of being nurtured like a little plant, like a seed, to be nurtured this morning, to grow and bring fruit to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yes, that lesson was for the children, but the children got big this morning, I'm assuming. Okay, you can turn to Second Timothy. I've heard someone say that if you go through the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage, you actually don't need to really do topical preaching because you come to each topic eventually. Every topic arises as you go through the scripture because all of life is touched by all of script by scripture somewhere. There's no part that is that is missing. Although at the rate I'm going, it would take pretty long to get some messages. So last message we had four words, and this message we'll look at the rest of that verse. Second Timothy chapter one, and we'll just read three verses here. To get the context, verses 8 to 10. Be not thou for, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it's now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death 
and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The last message we had looked at the first four words words in verse 9. Those words, who has saved us. Now that who, of course, is God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we had looked, I'm going to do a little bit of recap of uh, the question. So God saved us. Why did we need saving? What do we need to be saved from? And we went back briefly to the fall in the Garden of Eden and what happened in the fall. And we're all familiar with that, so I'm not going to go over that. But then we looked at the present present condition of all humanity and we realized that our problem is deeper than our uh, less than ideal environment. Our problem is deeper than that. That would be liberalism. They would say, well, we're, we're the way we are because of our environment. But our problem is not that deep that we can't respond to the promptings of God. That would be Calvinism. Total depravity. The scripture clearly teaches, though, that man cannot save himself, so it's not of works. You don't save, you don't work yourself up. And yet man is responsible and accountable to his response to God. And I, I just like to, just like to, rivet that in our minds so we're going to look at a verse in uh, in Matthew Matthew 23 two verses there the freedom and the accountability that we have to respond to God we have freedom and we are responsible and in Ma- in Matthew 23 in verses 37 to 38 after Jesus gave those seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, at the end of them, he had these words to say. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How oft I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And the point I want to bring out here is, I would have and you would not. The master teacher uses an everyday illustration of a hen. And I don't know if he was teaching there, there might have been hens running around. You're, you're in, in a third world country, there's hens. But people are familiar with the hens and the chicks. And the hen takes care of those chicks. Now, if you would have a chick that would not come to the hen, that chick is vulnerable. The Lord Jesus Christ clearly says, I am as a hen and I would that you would come to me. But he says, and ye would not. Ye would not.
And the outcome, Jesus said, your house is left unto you desolate. And that was a judgment of their lack of response to the Lord Jesus Christ. Their house is desolate. It's empty. It's unloved. It's, it's lost. It's destroyed. And that is a horrible, sad ending to a people who were so loved and so desired. And uh, the point of this is, is that we as a people can respond to God or we can reject God. But in the last message, we looked at a chick who did run to the mother hen. We looked at the thief on the cross. Remember that? Use were her hair. At the very brink of destruction. I mean, you can, you can imagine, uh, just to take a, the, uh, the chick. There was this cat. And this cat was just ready to pounce on that chick. And the mother hen came and saved the chick. That's what we saw in the thief last time. The chick, re, uh, the chick, yeah, the thief responded. He came to Jesus in the fear of God, in the acknowledgement of his sins, and in faith that Jesus could and would save him. And he got the clearest assurance that you find anywhere in Scripture. He got told personally to his face, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But last message, I noted that salvation is a process. The thief is an example to us of salvation. He is not an example to us of sanctification. He was never baptized. He never partook of communion. He never became a member or joined or became a part of a fellowship. He never gave money to the poor. He never made restitution for things he had done wrong. He never went back and asked forgiveness for people he had wronged. He never loved his wife like Christ loved the church. He never brought his children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He never did battle against the flesh and the devil. Well, he did there, but not further on. He wasn't filled with the fruit of the Spirit. But he was saved. And then he died. And like some others, he had a deathbed conversion. And then we also noted that the other thief on the cross died. The other criminal died as well and was not saved because he didn't respond. He rejected it. He would not. And he was lost. So this morning, we like to look at the rest of the verse. And that verse 9 is who has saved us, that's what we looked at last time, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So he, God, he, which is God, called us with a holy calling. After he saved us, which needs to be first, then he calls us to a holy calling. As part, and um, and I'd like to look in context here first. 
who is being called? Paul says, and he's writing to Timothy, but I, I always like to look at things in context, and then I like to bring it out to us. So who's being called? Well, Paul says he called us. And, and later on in the verse, he says it again, uh, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So the us right there is Timothy. Paul's talking about himself, and he's talking about Timothy. It's to us. As part of his own purpose, he called us. God has an eternal purpose. And this purpose is now unfolding in real life, Timothy. And I, I like to take us back. To the context there. What is the context here? The context just before was about suffering. In verse 8, don't be ashamed of me. Be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And then and you go on past that in the next verse, which we didn't read, in verse 12, which caused I also suffer these things. So the context is suffering. So he has called us to a purpose, and the context is suffering. And, and uh, like I said uh, the last message, why did Paul need to remind Timothy that God saved him? He'd been saved for 15 years, and then he writes a letter to him and said, uh, he saved us. Now, why does it need reminding? Well, because of the context we're in. We need reassurance. We need reminders. And then he also says, and he called us with a holy calling according to his purpose. Well, because Timothy was going to have a lot of suffering. And he needed to be reminded of that. And you've been called to this, Timothy. Don't forget that this suffering, this pathway that you, that you are on tracking, what God has called you to, it's God who called you to that. Paul had done that. He was suffering, and he was soon going to be killed. But I want to point something else out. Paul, as he was saying that, was following the Lord Jesus. Let's back up a little bit further. Did the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, have a calling? And we say yes. Did he know his calling? And we say yes, he did. You know, as he walked around healing people and stopping storms and astonishing people with his teaching, he, he knew how to silence his critics. You look at what Jesus did. It, it, if you would, let's say it this way. If you just look at it from a fleshly or a carnal way, you would really want to be Jesus. Power. I mean, which one of you would like to stop the storm when you're having a storm in your life? But Jesus had a calling, and that calling he never forgot. He knew he came on earth to, that, to go to the cross and die and then, of course, the resurrection. 
So he told his disciples that. Jesus told his disciples plainly. Okay, I should say that. That was his calling, and that was his calling from eternity past. You look in the scripture, from eternity past, this was his calling. Just like Paul said, from eternity past, we have a calling. Jesus had it. We're just following the footsteps of Jesus. And so he told his disciples that. His disciples are with him. They saw him stop the storm. And then he tells them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer terrible things at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're going to kill me. Because that was his calling. He knew that. And you know what Peter said? said, uh, impossible. I don't know what for, what for vernacular he used, but it will never be. It can't, that can't be right. But it was because that was Jesus' calling. He had been called to his calling. Now, was Jesus tested in that calling? He was. There in the wilderness temptations, the devil took him and showed him all the, all the, uh, I, I don't know, we could have a discussion whether he could actually give the kingdoms of this world. Or would he just simply like Eve, he promised him something he couldn't fulfill, or would he actually got the kingdom? But he did promise all the kingdoms. And Jesus is going to be the ruler. He's going to rule the kingdoms. But here's a way to go around the cross, around your calling. <clears throat> Choose an easier path. All you need to do is shift your allegiance from God, your father, and to me, the devil, and I'll give it to you. And then when he was being arrested in the garden, well, in the garden there, well, he, he faced there in Gethsemane, but when he was being arrested, Peter, that, that one didn't quite get the lesson yet. He tried to ward off all those soldiers with a sword. And what did Peter tell him? What did Jesus tell him? He said, don't you think I can now ask my father? And he would immediately Give me 12 legions of angels. I think a legion is a thousand. When you met one angel, when people met one angel, they fell flat on their face. How about 12,000 angels? Jesus said, I could get them at a blink of an eye. I do not have to go through the cross. The Father would give them to me. If Jesus always told the truth, this is truth. The father would have given him angels and he could have taken care of it. But his calling, he was true to his calling. He knew it was his calling. And he said, but if I did, how would the scripture be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And other times in his life, Hebrews says he was tempted in all areas like as we were and yet without sin. He knew he was going to be the spotless, sinless Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. So Paul is explaining to Timothy, Jesus was called with a holy calling. Paul was called with a holy calling. Timothy was called with a holy calling. Be true to your calling, Timothy. You've been called with a holy calling. And it's not because of your works. But it because of the purpose and the grace of God. How is that? I don't have it right now. His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. And Timothy needed to hear that.
suffering is going to be part of this calling. Paul was encouraging him, but expect it and plan on it. In, uh, in just a little later, in, uh, in chapter 2, in verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't sidestep it. And I was thinking of this an illustration. You, I don't know, it's the younger generation. Yeah, do you, you know Pilgrim's Progress? Some of you used to listen to it probably rather than read it like I did. Remember the time when they were walking in this rocky path and it was, it was so rough and it was so hard and then there was a defense and then there was a smooth path on the other side of the fence? How many of you remember that part? Quite a few of you. Okay. Well, if you don't remember that part, you will know, you will remember when you find out where it led them to because they were going and the both paths were going the same way and he's, and I was a Christian and Maybe it was faithful. I forget who was walking with him or hopeful, whichever one was walking with him at the time. And he said, well, why don't we go over there? They both go to the same place. So they didn't feel clear about it, but finally they did. Went over, and you know where it took them. It took them to Doubting Castle. And they almost, they had horrible times, and they almost didn't get out because they sidestepped that holy calling, that hardship. Timothy, don't take the easier path. Straight, stay true to your calling. Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have kept that faith. Now you, Timothy, have been called. And here are some more words that he gives him in this, in this, in this letter. Hold fast the, sound, the form of sound words. Guard that good thing which is given to you. Let me see if I can find it. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which means guard. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Flee youthful lust. Follow after righteousness. Be an example to the believers, Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. You see, the thief on the cross had none of this. But Paul and Timothy did, and so do you and I. We are here, all of us whom God has saved. If you've been saved, you've been called to a holy calling. Jesus has called you to a holy calling. Just as Timothy and Paul were, so is every Christian who has ever walked on the face of the earth. And you will remember that that thief did not walk on the face of the earth. (laughs) But every Christian is called We have been called with or to a holy calling as well. And this calling was planned for us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, we're not going to get in the whole what all of that means. We're going to get maybe a little bit of it. But let's look at this this calling. This first, there's two callings. You've been called 
with an holy calling. So there's two call two calls here. The first one is a verb. Called that first word called can mean an invitation. If you receive a wedding invitation, you've been called to a wedding. In fact, the Bible states that they were bidden to a wedding. You know, those the ones that say, I can't come, I have married a cow. I, I'm not <laughs> married a wife, I, I bought a cow. Someone asked me if I'm going to tell fairy tales this morning, or nursery rhyme this morning. I guess this will do for that one. <laughs> but um, they were bidden. That's the same word, bidden to the wedding. But it's a little stronger than that. A master can call his servants. That is actually like a summons or an order. That's actually, it's, it's stronger. Like when Jesus began to preach, when he preached, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was an invitation, but it was more than an invitation. It was a summons. It was a command. Repent. Because this. So the first is a, is a, it's a summon, it's a call, it's an invitation. The second word, calling, is simply a noun version of the same word. So it's, it's a, it, interesting. You've been invited to an invitation. <laughs> you have been summoned to a summons. You have been... It doesn't, it, it, the passage doesn't tell us what the calling is, only that it's holy. You've been called to a holy calling. So we'll have to um, understand what that means a little bit. But I'd like to look a little bit at that noun part of the calling because it's used in other areas, and I'm going to pick out a few. And I'm just going to go through the verses, and and, and, uh, you don't have to turn to each one. But there's other places where it's used as a noun. In in Philippians 3.14, I press... For the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here, instead of a holy calling, we have a high calling. And Paul is pressing toward the mark of that high calling. That's the context there. You have been called to a high calling. Okay, Second Peter 1.10 Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall. Here we have, it's, it's your calling. It's your personal calling. It's from God, and we are to confirm that calling by, um, by doing things, <laughs> actually. And Ephesians... Oh, no, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Here that calling is called a heavenly calling. Holy brothers and holy sisters have a heavenly calling. And they are to consider the Lord Jesus Christ in that calling. Because he was an example and then Ephesians 4, 1, a very familiar verse. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, what, 
word in here do you think is that word noun called or calling? Which one, which word do you think it is in there? I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So what word are we looking like for in here? Anybody have any idea? Same? Hmm? The vocation. It's the vocation here. It's the same word as the word calling. Exactly, both words are in this verse in reverse order. Worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That's the, na- that's the verb, and the vocation is the noun. It's just reversed. So, we're looking at something that is very common in Scripture. It, it, it's an integral part of Scripture. So this holy calling is a high calling, it's your personal calling, it's a heavenly calling, and it's your vocation. But I thought salvation is not of works. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We are saved by faith and not of works. So how are we going to connect? I'd like to talk a little bit. Let's, let's, can we properly settle this? And I don't know if I need to even persuade anybody here. I don't think I do. But we bump against it all the time. So I'm going to just go over that thing of it's not a works type of thing. Because we hear we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And there's by scripture alone, there's, there's five solos. And depending what's meant by those five solos, okay. But often what is meant is something completely foreign to scripture. And we need to know that in this day and age. In this day of everybody is a Christian or uh, let's not get too carried away with de- delineating uh, truth in this spirit of the age that we have live in. So this verse that we're studying says, he has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works. Okay. So it's not according to our work. We're not saved according to our works. But what is meant, not according to our works? Does that mean that our works have no merit? You know, he compares scripture with scripture. It's not really difficult to understand. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9, and we'll read a few verses there of some people who were saved, but not by their works. Deuteronomy chapter 9, and this is Moses. Yeah, Moses is reiterating to the children of Israel in a number of sermons in this in this book here he wrote them down or someone wrote them down so he's talking starting at verse 3 we could start before but we're going to break in here understand therefore this day that the lord thy god is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire he shall destroy them and he shall bring them down before thy face talking about the people in the land so shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly as the lord has said unto thee Speak not in thine heart after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out 
from before thee, not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it because of thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. This is common here in other places. God makes it plain that it's because of his love and it's because of his mercy that he calls us and saves us. It's not because we are so desirable. Can you imagine the ten sons of Israel? You know, those ten sons, not Benjamin and Joseph, but those other ones. What do you like to have them for your neighbors? Were they desirable? Or do you want to be Moses? Brother John, would you like to lead a nation like Israel out of the wilderness? Oh, he, he left already. <laughs> We're not a desirable people. The illustration can be made of walking through a junkyard. And there, the cars are junk. They're old. They're worn out. They're rusty. They're wrecked. Why would anyone go there for a car? The only person that would go there for a car is someone who has some kind, I don't know, I guess it goes for different reasons, but I'm going to, someone has some kind of sentimental reason of something back there, and he wants to go there and find it and restore it back to its original. But he didn't get there, go there because of its value at that point. He went there because he had a plan for it, and he saw value in it after he was done working with it. Well, that's us. We are ruined, and we are wrecked, and we don't get invited or chosen because of our works. I mean, it is absolutely not. Paul says in Romans that there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah says, we all like sheep, and he's talking about the people of God there, all like sheep have gone astray. So it's true that we are not saved because of our good behavior. We do not get out of jail early because of our good behavior. We are, as the Bible says, we are lost and without hope and without God. And then comes the but God who is rich in mercy. So, then to say that works, but then to go on to say that works has no part in our salvation, in this case sanctification, is one of the cleverest lies of the devil as well. So what are the lies of the devil? Well, first of all, the devil does deceive a lot of people in thinking you can get to heaven on your works. Uh, you put the scale up. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, how to do that? 
And that, and you make the judgment, not, not, not someone else. You make the judgment. You are the judge. And so if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you're a good person and good people go to heaven. That's millions believe that. And that's a deception. But then the devil deceives multitudes more to think that obedience does not necessarily need to follow salvation. Since salvation is a gift, all we need to do is accept it. Then our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. We're told that we're eternally secure. We're told that God loves us unconditionally. Once we're saved, there's nothing we can do that can make us unsaved or not a son. We can never lose our fellowship with God by our behavior. Now, obedience is good, but it's optional. And see, the thief on the cross was saved without doing any good works. So therefore, that's true. That is how we interpret. We are not saved by works. And that view is flat out wrong. Now, we've received many gifts from God. I'd like to write... What for gifts did we get from God? Gives you some ideas. We receive grace, right? Is that a gift? What else do we get from God as a gift? Salvation. Good. What else? As a gift. How about forgiveness? Did we get that? Sure. How do you spell forgiveness? Is that an E in there or not? Please excuse that. <laughs> what else? Spirit. Spirit. Holy Spirit. Yep, that's right. So, let me see. Oh, yes, eternal life, right? Is that a gift? Yes. You know what else we get? Should have put it in the banner. I'll put it up here. We get a holy calling. <laughs> We get that. Let's add that to it. What does it say? Called us with an holy calling, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We get a gift. We get a high calling. That is one of the gifts. This calling comes holy from God and claims us holy for God. Now, holy implies a believer's separation from the world unto God. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, we hear the tremendous blessing and standing we have in our salvation. And 
And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we, would, we have the gift of grace, we have the gift of salvation, we have forgiveness, we have the Holy Spirit, we have eternal life. And I didn't even go through, but you, you, can, look, you can look at just, just an expansive um, standing that we have in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Now, I didn't count this, but someone did, said in the last three chapters of Ephesians, there are 88 specific rules or commandments for those that have that vocation to follow. Remember that vocation in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1? And in those three, that's only in those three chapters in one epistle. And it says that is what holiness or dedication or obedience or a holy calling looks like. That life will be different from one who is not holy, as one who is worldly. I'm, I'm going to use an example simply because I ran across it this week, not because it specifically uh, stands above any other example, but it's an example of speech, and I ran across it this week, and so I'll use it. A minister was speaking on the topic of speech and specifically of how people talk, specifically um, the cussing, the swearing, the um, abusive kind of language. Profanity maybe too, yes. He said, as he was growing up on Long Island, he said profanity was simply a part of life. It was just simply something that grew up. If you wanted to emphasize something or you wanted to, uh, if you wish to emphasize or you want to up the impact, you would use specific wording that usually gets edited out if you would say it on the airways. Okay. That's how, and I'm around enough of people like that that I know that is the case. Then he said, now as he moves around ministry circles, he observes preachers in their non-public life. That means non-public, it means whether or not in public, but when they're around their peers like their other minister friends, that they use profanity also. Really vulgar terms, and the idea was is that God doesn't really care about your speech any more than he cares if you cook liver for supper or not. That's the word he used. That's the idea some people have. It's a preference. If you want to have liver for supper, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And most hands will go up. I don't have to. But the observation was made here that one of the best indicators of where a person comes from is how they talk. And it's not just their accent. It's also the phrases they use. It's also the way they pronounce certain words. In Indiana, they say roof, and we say roof. Down in the south, oh, yeah. Out in Long Island, I was uh, on a delivery, and there was an older Jewish man there. And we were talking a little bit, and he was asking how far to have to next stop. I said, mm, about five miles at the crow flies. He didn't know what I was talking about. 
No idea. Never heard a crow, a crow fly. <laughs> Never heard it. I'd explain that. At the same place, I had one time talking to someone else, and I said, well, maybe you're here for such a time as this, and he had no idea. I realized, yeah, he's, that's right. Okay, I shouldn't use that language here. But it gave a little bit of idea where I'm from. But you in the South, you say, you all come over here. Or you all, you all come over. I forget how you say that. That's how they do it in the South. And in Canada, they say, always end their sentence with, eh, eh. <laughs> and we here in Pennsylvania, we make the light out. But you can tell where people are from by how they speak. In the same way, the way a person speaks reveals from what kingdom he is from. He either belongs to the kingdom of God or he belongs to the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world. Remember, I'm just using this as an example. Maybe the thief on the cross was a vulgar man. Maybe he used profanity. Maybe he was cussing. But if he would have been around for a while, he would have quit. You know, those 88 directives in Ephesians, let's look at this one. In verse chapter 4, verse 29, it just says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That translated means don't use foul or abusive language. Chapter 5, verse 4. Neither filthiness, neither foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And another translation is that let there be no filthiness or foolish talking, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Colossians say, remove filthy communications or dirty language, and they are out of place. Now, we can ask the question, out of place? Out of place? What do you mean out of place? Well, they don't fit. They don't mesh with the holy God. They, nor his holy ways. And, you see, it's not just a rule. Don't talk that way. For some, maybe that's just a rule. Don't talk that way. We don't talk that way. But no, it's out of place. It doesn't fit. God isn't like that. And we are to be like God. We're to be holy. And so our speech, our speech is very distinctly different than the world around us because of our connection with God. They don't fit, and that's what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I'm only using this as an illustration. It's one portion of a calling. You could also focus on the other side of speech. What is the other side of speech for a holy person and has a holy calling? It is thankful words. It's kind words. It's gentle words. It's Humble, patient, upbuilding words. Uh, it, it also is correcting words and, and all that in uh, what the truth with love. Yeah, truth with love. Words of truth with love. That would be. So we are exhorted to both take off and to put on. Now, there is allow, allowance given 
for instruction and growth. There have been many, many Christians who were converted that kept on using that language for a while until they understood and learned and grew and overcame. And that, that's true. Um, aren't you glad God is merciful for are you as holy as you like to be? Are you immediately where you like to be in your high calling? I'm not. But I want to bring one part out. God is merciful, and there is allowance given. But there's no allowance given for excuses. Talk about speech now, just as an example. I was tired. He pushed me beyond what I could take. It came out before I could stop it. Yeah, it probably did. <laughs> now it's time to do what John tells us to do. Apostle John and Brother John sometimes. If we confess our misdeeds, then he will forgive us. No, if we confess our weaknesses, he will forgive us, right? No, or maybe if we confess our excuses, he will forgive us. No, he said, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Now, I'd like you to turn in closing here, in the closing number of finishing this up. Turn to First Peter chapter 1. Talk about our high calling, our holy calling. If we just pick out this one verse, in verse 15 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So there's that call to be holy. Now that precedes, that verse is preceded by verse 14 which is just connects to it as obedient children. Obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So you were ignorant and talking about words now. You were ignorant, so you might have spoken this way and you did it. But now you don't. Now you're obedient. Now you're holy. And then it's followed by. I'm going to start verse 17. To 21, I'm going to read these verses here. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here with, in fear, for as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, even silver and gold is corruptible, uh, by the way, <laughs> not just paper money. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead. And gave him glory that your faith and your hope might be in God. And I look at that, I say, Peter just sounds like Paul. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now he's made manifest exactly what Paul's saying, except Paul's saying in reference to us. Now to wrap up the main thought, 
of the message of this high calling all of our life is to be the outflow of the result of our salvation in Christ. And that outflow results in holiness of life. And that is the true meaning of separation. You know, we we don't talk much about separation here, and there's probably a reason for it. We've seen separation practiced in very, uh, in, in some unfavorable ways. And so we may have reacted to that, but there is a clear separation from the world in all areas, in our speech, in our goals, in our attitudes, in our homes, in our clothing, in our vehicles, in our families, in our money, in our time, in our recreation, and our witnessing. Everything emanating out of our life is to reflect that holy calling. Now, I was one interesting note here at the end that I just actually noticed this morning. And it connects with the Sunday school lesson. And also connects with the illustration I had this morning earlier. Where Peter says, if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. Interesting for those non-workers. He judges according to our works, every man's works, without respect of person. Then he says, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And I was looking at that, that fear. That probably means reverence. Probably just an old King James wording. That really means reverence. So I looked Greek up, and what did I find in the Greek? It's the word phobos. Anybody know what that might have an inkling for? <laughs> Sound familiar? Phobia? Be scared. Now, can someone quote to me the memory verse this morning? I'm going to listen to that memory verse that we were supposed to quote that we didn't. It has the same word in it. Can I quote it? I need a I need a prompting. <laughs> okay. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Feared exceedingly. That is the word phobia, phobos, with the word mega added to it. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> you know more Greek than you thought you did. So, I don't want us to be afraid of God. We are not to be afraid of God in a sense. But the point is, we cannot take our holy, heavenly, high calling haphazardly. We can't. There's no place for us to be lighthearted on our outworking of the Spirit of God in our lives. Because he said, fear, you're going to be judged according to every man's work, and it's not going to be based on any... It it doesn't matter if you're a, a minister or a deacon or a housewife or a young person or whatever. It's going to be judgment equally. 
And Jesus, when he, he, I want, I want to make sure this emphasis is correct. Jesus was true to his calling, but he did it as he was in fellowship with his Father. And we must never forget that it is in our fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ, with God, that we have, that we walk this life. But that being true is going to call us to suffering and hardship and real difficult times at times. And that cannot be excused. In other words, if you're having a, a wrestle against a fleshly habit in your life or a, a worldly dream or uh, whatever it is in your life, it's going to cause, it's going to be hard to say no and to go true to your calling. But, with the power of the Spirit, we need to take that choice. He, Jesus walked in fellowship with his Father while on the earthly ministry, and he remained true to his call, though he was sorely tempted. See, God doesn't save us because we were good. The thief on the cross got that. He didn't get saved because he was good. He got saved because of the mercy of God. And if he would have had a life, he would have walked this life if he would have been faithful to God like he calls us to do. That thief on the cross, that criminal, would have been kind to his neighbor. He would have been loving to his wife if he had one. He would have nurtured his children if he had any. He'd have given to the poor he called him a thief. He just stopped stealing. <laughs> so may God bless you as we walk together and encourage each other in our holy calling. And maybe the next time we will talk about talk about the Lord Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light to the gospel. I'm not sure what we'll talk about, but that comes next. So may God bless you.